Good morning again. <laughs> I'm Dak. <laughs> um, well, here we are. Our last week of Bible study. I can't even believe it's almost May. What happened? <laughs> um, this time of year is always so exciting for me. I, everything's blooming. It's beautiful. Um, I love going on walks in my neighborhood. All the dogwoods and the tulips are blooming. I'm like, yay. <laughs> it never gets old to me. Last night, my daughter Eve and I were on a walk, and <laughs> we found those trees that have, like, the pink blossoms that are really heavy and, like, you know what I mean? Like the big, cool ones. And I'm like, let's get a picture under here. And she's like, Mom, I took photography. You're doing it all wrong. I'm like, I don't care. I just want to. <laughs> it was a terrible picture. But I just, I don't know. Like, I, And the pictures never really do the justice, right? I mean, our eyes, the way God made our eyes. Anyway, I won't go there. But I'm really liking this time of year. <laughs> and it's not just like everything changing outside. It's like even in Bible study, I love this time of year. This is like what I consider the sweet spot of Bible study in our small groups, right? Because, you know, the beginning of the year is over that awkward, I don't know them stage, <laughs> you know? And we've been with each other enough all year long regularly. We've prayed for each other um, long enough to know each other much better. And, and that's, you know... It's so it's such a sweet spot right now, <laughs> being with you all in groups and stuff. Um, and our next thing to look forward to is retreat, which is always the sweet ending to Bible study because we can get together one last time and we have time before the summer to really spend with one another. Like, we got to know each other a little bit now. Now we really get to know each other because we're going to be like sleeping next to each other and like talking to each other for long amounts of time and we're going to be in God's word. So anyway, I think the one thing that I've seen throughout the years of going to retreats oftentimes is that it brings revival. Um, it's a t a just a really sweet time of surrender, change, and growth. Um, so... If any of you have not gone to the Women's Retreat, I highly recommend it. <laughs> it can be just as nerve-wracking as the beginning of Bible study, and you're like, I don't know anybody, is it going to be okay? But <laughs> it's always so sweet, like the same as the end of Bible study, where it's just an amazing time that God works, um, and you can receive from Him. So there's my plug for retreat. <laughs> I'm a little excited. Um, so before I get started in the passage, let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you for this last time here in this way for this season. And I just pray it would be uh, memorable, Lord, the things that you've taught us, God, that we would just remember the things that you want us to remember. And I pray that you would just open us up to receive from you this morning um, what else you want to speak to us, Lord, through your word. I pray you would use me, God, that you would speak through me, Lord, that you would give me wisdom to know what to say and what to disregard. And I just, yeah, I just ask, Lord, for your grace on this time. I thank you that you're here, your presence is with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I thought a lot about how to handle this week, you know, kind of how to review the year, and I'm going to do a brief, like, pull together at the end of my teaching, and hopefully to sum it up for us, but can I just say, like, <laughs> last week, Janet was, like, on fire. <laughs> I was like, wow, I was very impacting to me. <laughs> um, 
her excitement and passion for God's word, you know, is what I'm always going to remember. You know, it's like it was a picture of what I've seen her do for so long, so many years. Um, in her teachings, she just embodies, she embodied it last week, her love and her heart for God's word. And we studied a couple of amazing verses last week. I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to mention a few to just bring in some context, but they were some amazing gems. Um, Paul spoke of his persecutions, that all of them, out of all of them, the Lord rescued him. And then he told us in 3.12, indeed, all who want to live in a godly way in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So that was sobering. Um, Chapter 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. That's not the version I remembered it in, but (laughs) that was from last week in our version we studied it. Um, That was so powerful. Just a powerful couple of verses about itself, God's word. (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. We studied the classic verse about people wanting their ears tickled instead of tolerating sound doctrine in verse 3. And then my favorite verses were 6 and 8 out of last week, my personal favorite. A couple of phrases that stuck out to me were, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And finally, his mentioning of his coming down, or his coming crown of righteousness, which Jesus will award with him, award him with soon. And I thought, this week when I thought about it, sorry, I was like, what a testimony. As we see him wrapping up his letter, we see that his life is wrapping up as well in many ways. And I can imagine Timothy reading the words with tears over and over again. So let's get to this week's verse, um, verses, starting in chapter 4, verse 9. It says, he says, make every effort to come to me soon. Another word for effort here is make haste. So I love Jane Austen. All I could think of was like pride and prejudice. Make haste, make haste, you know, like Mr. Collins, like, woo. Um, But that's what it means. It means like hurry up, make haste. Paul is saying, you know, make haste. My time, my time is coming soon. My time is coming to a close. I think many of us know this feeling that Timothy probably had when he read it, you know, this sense of urgency that maybe he won't get to see him one more time before he dies. Paul says, come to me soon. In verse 10 he says, "For de- okay, so I'm going to say all these names, and I did not look them up. So this is like my best hack phonetically, <laughs> okay? It's not going to be right. It's like, just ignore it. You know what I mean? You're reading it with me. <laughs> so verse 10, Paul says, come to me soon for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And here we have a list of people that have left Paul. Just, just that he has a list I kind of think is sad. Like, he's like, oh, man, that's kind of a bummer. Um, Demos, who had loved this present world, had deserted him. The word deserted here means forsaken, abandoned, or left helpless. If I could try and paint a picture, a little bit of what Paul's situation is like, it would kind of look like this. Um, you know, at the end of Acts, we saw Paul under house arrest when he was a prisoner of Rome for the first time. He had visitors coming and going. It was a house. 
When he was released, he probably went on another missionary journey to Spain. Um, and when he came back to Rome after that, he was arrested again. But this time he was put into what was more like a dungeon. It was called a marmarine. It's like an underground prison, that stone. And it was not like house arrest, right? In fact, it was so much more of a picture of the place that people go before their death, you know? At this point, he was imprisoned by Nero, which is like a whole nother thing, but this Caesar was most likely crazy, like a crazy guy. He had a sick, twisted way of persecuting and killing Christians. He often had Christians burned as torches in his gardens. He was the one responsible for Peter and Paul's death, along with many others. I only share like the darker side of the story to give context for why maybe some of Paul's friends were deserting him. I'm sure it doesn't make him feel any less abandoned or alone, <laughs> but there was likely a real fear of being associated with Christians that were arrested and being condemned to die because of it, like Paul was about to. The reason we see that Demas had deserted Paul was given by us, um, by Paul. It was because he loved present, this present world. This was a big deal for Paul, for Demas to leave. Um, Demas was always mentioned as being with Paul and Luke. Um, we see him mentioned being with Paul during his first imprisonment in Colossians 4 and Philemon 24, so he was there the first time he was in prison. Um, now he comes to visit Paul in prison, and the prison is like a visible picture of future death, you know? I pondered this and thought about Demas, like, and it reminded me that our Christian walk takes endurance. Um, we may suffer and be persecuted, and and. And when that happens, it always comes down to who we're, who we're going to love more. We're going to love the world more or Jesus. Demas left when it wasn't comfortable or safe anymore. Um, and it made me think, you know, do we hit the road when it becomes uncomfortable or to be associated with Jesus or the church? I thought a lot about Paul and how he got what it felt like to be forsaken and lonely. We may get how it feels as well you know, to feel abandoned or forsaken, deserted like Paul. And when we need someone the most, you know, we need each other. You know, do we stick with people in their loneliest of times? Do we have that endurance that Demas lacked? In verse 10, also, Christens and Titus were mentioned as leaving. Christens was mentioned nowhere else in the Bible, so he was kind of like... I don't know who he was, <laughs> a friend. Titus, though, was mentioned often. He was with Paul way back in the beginning. Um, when Bartimaeus first took Paul to meet the apostles, he took Titus with him. So he's been there, like, the whole road, it seems like. He continued in the ministry that Paul had begun, much like Timothy. Titus had a heart for the Corinthians and often went back to check on them and bring word to Paul, collecting money, Paul saw him as a son in the faith. Um, Titus probably left him to check on the church, or maybe he said his final goodbyes and went to go pastor the church, you know? It's hard to know for sure. We see in verse 11 that only Luke was with him now. The apostle Luke, um, we see him in the Gospels. He penned the book of Luke and Acts. I think it's so awesome to see Luke with Paul through all his journeys, mainly because, and I couldn't, ex I couldn't describe this well in my notes, but like, Luke followed Jesus, he was an apostle, you know? Paul came later, but Luke supported him, like he was with him, even though Paul wasn't in the beginning with Jesus. I just thought that was so, so cool. 
Paul was not completely left alone. It's probable that he couldn't, that Luke couldn't be with him a lot, being in a dungeon underground, and that may be why Paul feels so lonely. Um, it was likely that Luke may have died after Paul and Peter um, by martyrdom because of his association with them. Moving on to the next person Paul mentions, let's look at verse 11. We see Paul make a request that stands out, and I don't know if any of you had caught it. It like blew my mind when I read it. <laughs> um, he says, take along Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. This would be John Mark, the one that Paul had conflict with in Acts. On Paul's first missionary journey, he went with Barnabas and John Mark. I'm going to call him John Mark because he goes by both names. John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. During that journey, for whatever reason, John Mark turned around and went back to his home in Jerusalem. We find this in Acts 13, 13. He could have been scared. He could have had second thoughts. Maybe he didn't feel cut out to do this kind of missionary work. <laughs> there was no specific reason in the text, but what we do know is it definitely affected the relationship between him and Paul. Later in Acts 15, we find Paul gearing up to go on his second missionary journey, and Barnabas suggests bring in John Mark. And Paul says, no way, nuh-uh, <laughs> we're not doing that. <laughs> the, reason, the reasoning was very telling. In Acts 15.38, it says, Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Notice that same word, deserted, that we have in our text. Um, John Mark had deserted them. That's how Paul felt. Barnabas wanted to take him again, and they ended up having a sharp disagreement, and, div and it divided them, and they parted ways. Paul took Silas, and Barnabas took John Mark. <clears throat> I'm so thankful that God allows us to see this story. <laughs> we see that in it that we are not the only Christians that may ever have conflict with one another. <laughs> you know, even Paul had it. <laughs> Um, he had conflict and it caused a schism. There was a disagreement and division. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not thankful that it happened, <laughs> but I'm thankful that we get to see the real life troubles of the church. And we get to see it come to full circle when we get a glimpse of the rest of the story at the end of our book today. By the time Paul is penning this letter at the end of his life, there has been some kind of reconciliation. Um, John Mark is contrasted here in our passage today with Demas. It's the, he's contrasting him with this other character that deserted him, the one that deserted Paul. John Mark now is considered the useful one to Paul. Um, this same word useful is the word we saw in chapter 2, verse 21, when we were encouraged to be vessels of honor, set apart and useful to the master, preparing for every good work like a useful vessel being poured out to the Lord like an offering to him, like last week he mentioned. This is how Paul views John Mark now. We can also be useful like John Mark. The word useful means easy to make use of. We could easily make use of ourselves in pouring out ourselves and helping the church and loving and serving our neighbors um, or within our own family. The opposite of being useful would be stingy with our time, our gifts, our energy. Being useful is a picture of servanthood and um, giving of ourselves to help others for the Lord. Are we being useful for Jesus like John Mark? 
God used that work he did in John Mark, the work of making him useful, a useful vessel to ultimately bring Mark and Paul together again. God is so good to redeem that relationship and to redeem John Mark's life. This story gives us hope. We may have hard times in conflict with other believers, disagreements, things that Satan would want to use to divide us, but God can reconcile and redeem those relationships, setting them right again. It may take time, like Paul and John Mark's case, you know, before our lives are over, though, there is hope. And I just find that so encouraging. Um, Let's move on to verses 12 and 13. It says, But I have sent Tychus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the overcoat which I left in Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Tychus was another character mentioned in Colossians, Ephesians, and in Titus. He is like Titus in that Paul would send him to churches to check how things were going, and, and he would bring those churches' letters from Paul. We see here another example of a useful vessel for the Lord. Now we get down to some housekeeping. Paul asked Timothy to bring his coat to him, books and parchments. It's likely that he had to leave those things last minute when he was arrested. And it's sad that he doesn't have anyone to give him a coat in the dungeon. I'm just like, wow, that's so, oh. (laughs) I just think that's so sad how cold and uncomfortable he may have been feeling. The books and parchments, these were probably referring to um, gospel, the Gospels, possibly. Um, possibly to the Old Testament, copies of the Old Testament. Um, it could have been other books. But I love that even when he knows his time to die is coming soon, he still is a learner, <laughs> even at the very end of his life, to the very end. So let's read verses 14 and 15. It says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself too, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. We see this character mentioned in Acts 19, and he may be the Alexander mentioned in 1 Timothy 1.20. This was a Jew in Ephesus and that had been working against Paul. He may have been a part of the stirring up of the riot against Paul in Acts 19, being one of the tradesmen that felt threatened by Paul's ministry because they, had made, they were making statues to the gods that were there in Ephesus that the people were worshiping, and maybe he was one of those people that made those kinds of statues, and people are getting saved, and they're not buying the statues anymore. Um, He could have been one of the false teachers mentioned throughout the Timothy letters. Whatever it was that Alexander had against Paul, he had done Paul great harm, and Paul wants Timothy to be aware of him because he is in Ephesus with Timothy, so he knows that he's there. Unfortunately, um, in our life, we may be targeted by enemies of the gospel, people that seem like it's their end goal to take us down because, just because we believe in Jesus, you know. These, these people can make life miserable. Um, thankfully, God can deal with them, and we, we don't have to fight back. You know, we, can, we don't have to do anything but be on our guard and trust the Lord. When I worked before, I had a job before I had my kids, there was a coworker that just didn't like me. She didn't like me from, like, the first day. (laughs) I don't think she thought I would stick around. I was a temp. We worked in a small accounting office, and she would make jokes at my expense and made fun of me because I was too nice. (laughs) I'm like, really? You're going to make fun of me because I'm too nice? (laughs) Um, The only thing that I could do was pray, you know? But it was hard. She kept, God kept reminding me that the things that she didn't like about me were the things that were of him, you know? 
It was the work of the Spirit that he was doing in me. It was the Jesus in me that she was rejecting. Um, And over time, God helped me figure out ways to love her, but I was on my guard. And over time, God had softened her, and I think it was because she saw my failings and faults along with my nice, you know? Like, I'm a real person. (laughs) I'm just not not like this perfect nice person. (laughs) And also, the Lord was drawing her to himself. She had been hurt by the church, She was not a believer, you know, but I think she was searching. And at the end of my job, um, well, she needed, her car broke down, and the only person that could give her a ride was me. (laughs) So I drove her back and forth to work, and over that time, we became friends. (laughs) Like, she, we ended up liking each other, you know. Um, She wasn't as hard to me anymore. I think she you know, the Lord softened her. He doesn't always do that to people in our lives that are hard, but he did with her, and I'm so thankful. (laughs) Um, At the end of my job, when I was like eight months pregnant with Eve, you know, she threw my baby shower for me at work. It was just such a sweet thing. I I remember sitting there thinking, wow, Lord, I can't even believe (laughs) that I'm here like this. Um, You know, it could have never changed. The The Lord still would have sustained me and given me strength, though and endurance to still love her, even if she never softened. You know, when we go through seasons like this um, with people that feel like our enemies, we can trust that the Lord will fight for us and sustain us. He's so faithful like that. We don't have to retaliate, you know? The Lord can take care of it. So let's move on to verse 16. It says, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. When he mentions his first defense, it's probably talking of his trial before Nero. It's very likely at this point in Rome with Nero, people that would defend Paul or try to help him would suffer death as well. So he was abandoned. I can't even wrap my mind around these kinds of choices that Christians had to make back then. I just... (laughs) Paul must have felt so alone at a time when he needed support the most. This attitude of forgiveness Paul expresses here was so powerful. It felt like an echo of Jesus' words, and the more I looked into it, it just totally intrigued me. Um, This phrase, may it not be counted against them, reminds me of when Jesus was on the cross at the end of his life, saying, at the end of his life, (laughs) like Paul is, you know, saying these things about the people that are rooting for his death his enemies, and the disciples that abandoned him. He was also abandoned. Although Paul was not at Jesus' crucifixion, hearing him say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing, or later saying, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit, he didn't hear those words, but he knew that those things were said. He knew of Jesus' heart right before he died. It was also the same phrase um, that Stephen used when he was being stoned to death. Now, this was a phrase that Paul heard. You know, he was there at Stephen's death. Um, he was there holding all the coats of the men who were stoning Steve. He was Stephen's, Stephen's enemy. He heard Stephen echo the words of Jesus when he said in Acts 7, 59 through 60, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. When he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. He said the exact same thing as what Paul's saying here. Possibly these words ring in Paul's mind as he said them here in this passage. He's adopted this attitude of Jesus and Stephen when they suffered and died. He's not bitterly holding on to unforgiveness because he felt deserted, 
No, he doesn't have to feel this way because he's not totally abandoned. We see this in verse um, 17, the very beginning of it. It says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. God stood with him and strengthened him. What a powerful, important thing for Paul to recognize and share. If God can stand with Paul at the end of his life, how much more is he able to support us in our time of need, any time of need? He may, we may have times of feeling lonely, but we're never really alone. We're really not. Paul is saying here that God walks with us to the very end of our lives. No matter who leaves us or whoever is with us, we'll never be alone because he is with us. I think there are times when we feel alone or forsaken, you know. There have been seasons where I felt so alone or forgotten, you know, especially when my kids were really little. All I felt like my life consisted of was changing diapers and buckling seatbelts and feeding kids, you know, and giving baths and having seasons of sickness. I was talking to Angela about this last week where it's just like, on and on, as soon as you think it's over, it comes back again because you have, you have a, a bunch of them and they're just spreading it to each other, you know? And then over time, you start feeling disconnected from people. I know I felt that way and discouraged. Many times during that season, I felt like my life, like life was just going on without me. And I look back and I have a different perspective now, you know? But in those moments, the loneliness was real, you know? And even now in my own... My family now, it's been a rough season for me personally. I'll just be real. <laughs> if I'm being honest, I don't feel, I feel, I often feel very um, weary and sometimes alone in my struggles. You know, just when it's the same things over and over and it just feels hard and I feel like sometimes I don't know who to relate with, <laughs> with certain things that happen in my home with, with some of my kids. But I could relate to something John Corson said about this verse, and I'm actually gonna say something before I said this. I was thinking about this morning, like, we sometimes, I don't know if you guys, but oftentimes I'm like, I'm the only one that feels this way. No one else can understand. It's just such a lie from the pit of hell. Like, every, there is always somebody out there that knows <laughs> what you're going through that's been there or worse. Like, we just need perspective. <laughs> but anyway, I'm gonna read this quote from John Corson, because I just thought it was very much Applied. He says, over and over again, I have found that when I felt most alone, the Lord became most real. For when there are people around us, we have a tendency to rely on them. But when we're alone, we find ourselves walking with the Lord in ways we wouldn't have otherwise. Amen. We're not alone, ladies. And when we feel alone, that feeling could be our reminder to depend on the Lord and rely on his presence, you know. I love looking at the second half of verse 17. Paul's perspective in all of what has been, he's been experiencing was that God's work was being accomplished. Even at the end, he says that God stood with him and strengthened him so that, quote, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. Even though he was in a prison about to die, he knew that this might be his greatest work because he saw it as an opportunity to share the gospel with Emperor Nero, if I'm not even sure if he spoke to him, but tradition says he did. Um, and anyone else who could hear his defense, the Gentiles. Paul's perspective was that his hardship had a purpose. It was so that he could proclaim Jesus fully and that all the Gentiles were able to hear it. Paul always used his arrests and standing before the officials and kings as an opportunity to tell anyone who would listen to him about Jesus. <laughs> he used it as a platform. 
We see this all through the book of Acts. It in, and at the end of verse 17, we see Paul mentioned being rescued from the lion's mouth. This reference to a lion could be a metaphor that describes how God has saved him from death up to this point, kind of like Daniel in the lion's den. <laughs> could be a reference to God rescuing him from Satan, who is described as a roaring lion in 1 Peter 5.8, maybe from the enemy's attacks. It could be Nero who was described as a lion, or possibly is referring to Paul being saved from being fed to literal lions, right? So this was a thing that happened. Sometimes Christians would be fed to beasts. Um, and, you know, Paul, he was saved from that. I think, you know, him being um, a Roman citizen prevented him from dying one of those horrific, I, I guess being beheaded like he was, was um, a quick, pain, not as painful suffering. It was considered a little more humane or something. I don't know, because he was Roman. Um, or, uh, yeah, whatever it was, he was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Paul continues in verse um, 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's perspective, like Janet mentioned last week, is that true rescue is dying and going to heaven, you know? That perspective is what I think gives people the strength to endure hardships, persecutions, and martyrdom. His end game was to proclaim Jesus as much as possible before his death, and in the end, the Lord deserving would be the deserving of the praise and the glory. We don't know if Timothy made it to see Paul before he died, but it does seem that not long after this letter, Paul was beheaded. Around the same time, it was said that Peter was crucified upside down, I guess. So let's finish reading um, verses 19 through 22. It says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onephersus. <laughs> Erastus remained at Corinth, but I felt that I left Torphemus sick at Miletus. Make, make every effort to come before winter. Ebulus <laughs> greets you, also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Priscilla, or he said Prissa here, but she's also referred to as Priscilla and Aquila were fellow tent makers with Paul and, and they met in Corinthia. They went to Ephesus with Paul, these tent makers did, and hosted the church in their home. They were ministers with Paul. They co-ministered with him. Now they must be probably likely the host home in which Timothy leads the church in presently in this part of the book. Onephersus was a person that didn't, didn't desert Paul but often refreshed him and was not ashamed of Paul's chains. He searched out for Paul in Rome when he was arrested. <clears throat> because it doesn't mention Onephersus directly but only his household, that may imply that he died quite possibly because of his faith and because of his relationship in connection to Paul. It's a possibility. Not much, if anything, is mentioned about the rest of the people mentioned here. In the last verse, Paul says, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. This phrase, be with, that's used in both of those sentences, here literally means present to help. The same phrase is used when the Holy Spirit was being explained as our helper. In John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. 
Again, we see this theme of God being present with us. God is present with us to help guide our feelings, guide what we think, to help us make decisions. Sometimes, if you're like me, I just forget and I'm unaware of his presence. You know, I just kind of forget that part. <laughs> and many times, my kids, when they're in trouble, and maybe it's something that's just habitual, like over and over, and we're like sitting down to talk about it again. <laughs> maybe they keep struggling with the same poor choices. God reminds me that he's with them, that they just need that reminder, you know, that because they're not going to reform themselves, and neither can we, right? <laughs> they need to learn how to depend on the Holy Spirit. Um, finally, we see Paul end with the words, grace be with you. Paul often ends his letters in this way, but to have it be his last recorded words, I feel like is powerful. Um, what he knows Timothy needs more than anything is grace. The Lord be with you, grace be with you. Um, within the context of the church, these are the two things we need to do church well. You know, his leading, his presence, and, this, and his kind of grace from him and with each other. This is what Paul had at the end of his life when he felt abandoned, and it's what we will always need. So that... Um, that brings us to the end of Second Timothy. It brings it to a close. Um, and can I be honest? I, I was so excited when I looked at these verses this week. I kind of, I signed up for this, these verses to do the close because I wanted to close this off and do the review and all that stuff. But I didn't look really carefully. I knew it was the end of the letter, but I didn't look like really clear, carefully what I would actually be studying. And um, I just thought it was so amazing. All these references that and you know characters that are mentioned places and relationships they all go back to acts and um that's exciting to me because that acts is the place in the book that i feel like the lord's leading us for next year for bible study and so i wanted to just announce that to you i'm so excited <laughs> we're gonna do it we're gonna do the book of acts starting in the fall and we'll do it for two years because there ain't no way we can do it in one. <laughs> It'd be crazy. But we're going to do it in two just so we can really dive into it. And um, I'm really excited to walk through it with all of you. It's a book about change, new beginnings in the church, stories of the church being unified, and God using his people, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? <laughs> and so it's exciting because next year we get to begin and see more details of Paul's life. We're going to start at the beginning, though, <laughs> not at the end. So I'm excited to learn and gain from these characters and their lives. It'll be a little different of an approach in Bible study, not a huge difference or anything like that, but because it's a story, and we've been doing letters for a long time, now we're moving to a story, which I think is going to be really exciting because we get to gain in a different way from the characters and their experiences and the principles we can draw out of that. So I think it'll be really rich. Um, so as we come to a close this year, I want to look back, and I thought about what we had studied, so real brief, like brief, brief. <laughs> Janet touched on it last week, too, so I don't plan on spending a lot of time. We kicked off this year in Bible study, like way back in the fall, <laughs> with learning about discipleship. We looked at specific characters in the Bible to see what discipleship looked like. In various capacities, we saw examples of Barnabas. The encourager, Paul, the mentor, Timothy, the learner. We talked about what qualities are good to look for in a mentor and how women can seek out those who are younger or older. 
And then this winter and spring, we studied First and Second Timothy, seeing Paul's heart throughout the study for the one he loved like a son and the one he mentored. His, his letters are such a good example to us. I really think I haven't studied a letter that I can think of that I can remember that had so much expression of like tender, heartfelt love. We saw in First Timothy, Paul explain how to do church God's way. He's a young pastor and Paul's guiding him. First Timothy 3.15 summed it up well. It says, I've written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. And so he did, addressing issues of false teachers, the roles of women and men within the context of church, widows, slaves, issues of money. He covered the qualifications of deacons and elders. And at the end of First Timothy, he gave a final charge to him. He said, he charged him to run away from the false teachers and the false teaching and the love of money and to run to and pursue godliness and righteousness. We opened up 2 Timothy and we saw a different kind of letter. It was still filled with instruction and charges, but it was also filled with the themes of loyalty because Paul had had some turn their backs on him because of his imprisonment. We see him continuing on in his themes of warnings and instructions against false teachers. He encouraged Timothy to kindle afresh the gift and the calling God had on his life. He encouraged him to make sure to raise up teachers that could stick to the word of God. And towards the end, we see the themes of God rescuing Paul, his ultimate rescue, which is backwards in the eyes of the world because to Paul, to die and be with Jesus is the ultimate rescue, (laughs) you know? I thought a few times while studying 2 Timothy, what would it, like, my last letter be? What would that be like to someone? Like, who would it be to? I think... um, my letter would probably be to my kids, urging them with these kinds of themes, honestly. <laughs> like, stay away from bad teaching. You know, like, you know, and, and love and continue to fight the good fight. If I had no kids, it'd probably be like Paul, you know, to a woman that I've mentored. And what would it say? You know, what would you say if you wrote your last letter? Would it be like Paul pouring out his heart and instructions to stick to God's word and pursue godliness and not the world? Even here we see a heart of passing along what really matters. Each one of us has something to share and encourage others with, something to pass along. I think many of us feel like Jesus could come back anytime. Like I know we're all kind of there. <laughs> and what are, we use, what are we using our time to do while we wait, you know? Do we have a sense of urgency like Paul, knowing things could be over soon? This is so convicting to me, like just to think about that. What are we using our time for? I encourage you to pray if you haven't up until this point, to pray for God to open your eyes to see opportunities to minister to those around you. I know you guys already do, a lot of you already do, you know, but you can always continually have that prayer, even if you're already in it, continually, you know, especially to those younger than yourself. Whether we have one year or 60 years yet to live, you know, let's live it like Paul, pouring out our life like a drink offering to God, pouring out our lives into others, fighting the good fight and finishing well. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. God, for this year and the things that you taught us, reminded us of. I just, um, I pray, God, for
for all these ladies that this summer, Lord, that, that we would all stay faithful in your word, God, that we would look to you when we feel alone or disconnected. Lord, I just pray that we would look to you, God, and, and seek out your presence and seek out one another. Um, I thank you for this time. I just ask that our small group time would be just sweet, Lord. And I thank you for all this. In Jesus' name, amen.